0: I'm Bo Templin, and this is In The Fight. I'm Bo Tem- okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, September 27th. It is 1.56 p.m. here in San Diego, California. I just got done reacting to UFC 266 with a Vayner Sports client, a strong style team member, Gerald Spawn. Gerald is just starting his MMA career, and we've actually built a pretty nice little rapport with each other. We've gone live on Instagram on numerous occasions, reacting and recapping huge UFC fight nights, and it was a pleasure to talk with him, going over what we saw at UFC 266. Just a massive, massive MMA event uh, that went down over the weekend, and man! Like it delivered. On every single point, did it deliver? We got potential fight of the year. We got potential round of the year. We had this. We had that. We had drama. We had uncertainty. It was honestly awesome to see. Great episode. Great explanations from Gerald. That will be at the end of the episode. That will be at the end of the episode. However, before we get to that, this is a big one. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, on In the fight today, I was able to record this probably, probably 10 days ago, maybe not even, maybe sooner. Um, Guys, this interview is probably as big as I've done yet. He's an MMA pioneer. He's a UFC Hall of Famer. He's an absolute legend of the sport. This conversation was special. He, he gave us some untold stories that I could not believe when he was telling them to me. But today, ladies and gentlemen, on In The Fight, we can get started. The one, the only, Uriah Faber. Let's go! This is In The Fight. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, September 20th. It is 11.35 here in San Diego, California. And at some point, guys, someone's going to have to hit me really hard to wake me up from the, the dream I'm in. Because this is, this is getting out of fucking control at this point. Today on In the Fight, ladies and gentlemen, I have a WEC champion. I have a MMA pioneer, legend, Mount Rushmore figure. I have a UFC Hall of Famer, and I'm sure he's sick of hearing all of this shit over and over. <laughs> but m- me oh my, I am, I'm shaking right now, guys. This is unbelievable. Today on In the Fight, the California kid... Uriah Faber. Uriah, thank you so much
1: for the time, man. This means more than you will ever, ever know. Hey, glad to be here. I appreciate it. We just got out of practice. So um it's my office. We've got the cage right outside here. And we just had a bunch of guys beating each other up. So uh nice to get in here and, and talk shop with a fan. I appreciate that. Very, very cool. What's the uh what's
0: the focus today at, at the gym? Like our Monday is kind of known as like rolling days are those days you kind of get after it with sparring what what are mondays usually look like
1: so the monday we have a drill class it's 8 30 to 9 it's just technique jiu-jitsu mma-based jiu-jitsu then we go 9 30 to 11 and it's more of an mma stand-up practice where guys are you know working on some little tricks and some fundamental drills and then they go into a like a, a touch spar that's mma stand-up I mean there's some clinch and some dirty boxing involved. You can sweep guys, but you're not falling to the ground, and uh, it's just kind of a high pace. It starts off the beginning of the week, which is a very long week. So they go not too not too hard in those in those two practices, and they have a strength and conditioning around noon, and then uh, this evening around six will be jujitsu. So it's a jam packed day. I think like even people who even people
0: who play just high school sports, right? Like, you know, you, you have multiple practices throughout the week. I think even people who just did that can relate to the idea of like, oh, they just had a good practice. You know what I mean? Like you left practice, like, damn, like Uriah was on fucking fire today. Who, who was kind of feeling it today during uh, the first practice?
1: You know, there's a bunch of guys that are, that are kind of staples for that. You know, Darren Elkins, the damage they call him every, every practice he's in is a, uh, is a solid practice for him. I mean he he he's a a guy that grinds every single day. Andre Feely was good. We had uh Macy Barber. She she looked great today and um you know, then there is probably about 40 people in practice. So I I'm, I'm leaving some people out that you probably don't even know yet, but but will eventually. So give me
0: and uh I I'm putting you in a tough spot because I don't want to make you pick one person that we don't know about, but like right. Who's someone who had a hot practice today that maybe we don't know about, but you know, down the line we'll we'll be hearing their names.
1: There's a couple of really really big up and comers and and uh you know it's funny, one of them Slava Borshev, he's a kickboxing champion and he's fought professional boxing, now professional MMA, and and he's one of the best stand-up guys I've ever seen come through the gym and he's been spending the last three or four years that uh you know. Mixing into mixed martial arts. So Slava Claus, we call him, like, like Santa Claus. And his real name is Vyashlav Borshev from uh, Volgograd, Russia. He's a very tough one. And then the other one is Kaleo Romero. He's a California guy, uh, state runner-up in, in wrestling. And, and now he's, I think, 6-1 and one in MMA.
0: What part of California is he
1: from? He's from uh, Sacramento area. Macy. I've got Macy Barber in here. You can say hi to her real quick. I'm on a podcast, but come say hi. For a second. Oh, sorry. I, I have to do this podcast right here. Say hi. This is Macy. We'll get her on the show also. Hi, Macy. <laughs> I'm MMA. Thank you. All right, Have, have, a, have a
0: great week of practice, Macy.
1: He said have a great week of practice. Yeah. All right.
0: I know that that's like normal to you because you're Uriah f- fucking favor, but... You know, just saying what up to Macy Barber, casual, no big deal. <laughs> that's a pretty good way for me to start my Monday. There you go. I think you guys are about the same age. So,
1: you know, yeah, I'm
0: sure, I'm sure we could probably relate. I'm sure we were watching the same fights together when we were young.
1: Oh, um, yeah, that's
0: funny. Um, okay. I want to start with this here, though, Uriah. Um, WEC 38, you take on Jens Pulver. And the fight is in San Diego. That's where I'm from. I'm from San Diego. It's at the San Diego sports arena. Um, What do you
1: remember about that night? Well, I remember that first off I had done my camp in Brazil, which was awesome. So I was, I was, uh, you know, out in Buzios and, in Recreo and, and, uh, and spending a bunch of time over in, in paradise before that fight. So that was awesome. The crowd was nuts. I mean, I, I, I have a big, big crowd response when I come out to Sacramento. And it was equal, if not better, in San Diego, in San Diego which is really cool. And I was born in Santa Barbara, so I'm a, I'm a SoCal guy also. But, uh, you know, the last thing was I wasn't the main event, but it felt like a bunch of people left after I fought, which was kind of weird because there's a fight after that. I think it was Donald Cerrone and I, maybe fighting Varner. I can't remember. But, um, you know, a big, body shot that I, that I landed on Jens pulver. It was a right hand left body shot, which put him down. And I did an up kick to his head and, and, and kind of went for the finish and choked him out. So, um, seems like yesterday, man, time flies, but what year was that? WEC
0: or 38 was in 2009.
1: Oh, wow. So
0: I was 12 years old. Oh, nice. And I guarantee awesome. I gar- I guarantee I was watching it. Um you are correct. It was Cerrone versus Barner um in the main event. Uh do you remember what you had for dinner after the fight? Just out of curiosity. I'm a like, you know, as a foodie San Diego kid, I was curious if you um did a little Man. close fight celebration. Did you go to a club somewhere downtown? Gas I had a, do you remember what you did?
1: Yeah, I was in the gas lamp. We had a club that we went to and we had this is actually funny. We had a huge after party and it was like downstairs like and they had a bunch of um a whole area blocked off for me in the middle of the club and it was so irritating because i mean i'm literally seeing all sorts of people from my past and 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 people from my present that were there and everybody was trying to get in through the little stanchions where it was like blocked off and i'm like seeing my some college buddies and high school buddies and everyone's like let me in let me in, let me in and I finally just had to get out of that area and go back in it because I knew everybody there for the most part, you know, and it was creating an issue because everybody wanted to feel like they're important inside the stanchions when it was really just we used the whole club site. So I ended up like it was getting on my nerves so bad. I just went to the other side of the thing and I'm like, guys, stop trying to get in there. It's, this is all we're all the same people. And I just went up to the regular bar. We had a, it was private event anyway. So. Um, it was kind of a strange ordeal, but, uh, we had a great time. I can't remember. I mostly had some beers. I do remember that kid Yamamoto came to that fight and kid, Yamama, Kim, kid Yamamoto, kid at the time was like the, the, the biggest name, lightweight fighter in the globe from, from Japan. And he came there and we had a beer together and, uh, he's actually passed away. I don't know if you knew that he got cancer and passed away about two years ago. So uh, I've got a great picture from that from that night, and uh, and Kid Yamamoto was there. And um, sad to say that he 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 passed away way way b- before his time.
0: Um, you're right. If it's if it's possible, do you think um we could get that photo? Um,
1: do yeah, you still yeah, have it? It do You have that. access to it? Yeah, I posted it on my Instagram uh, when he passed away. So it'll probably be way down there on my Instagram. You can look it up, but I'll try to find it and send it over to you.
0: Will do. I appreciate that. Um, and there's
1: always talks of he and I fighting and it never really came to fruition. Um, by the time it did, it was like, you know, by the time he came to the UFC, it was kind of too late. He was down a weight class. I was up a weight class and it didn't happen. And that, so that's funny you say that. Cause one of my questions is like
0: the big what ifs, right. Of your career of really just MMA in general. Like when you look back, is, is that the one that kind of stands at the top of the list in terms of like, yo, that almost happened. Or like, what if, like if, if this injury doesn't go down, I don't take him, you know, take on whatever his, like whoever it might be. It, do you have any, what ifs that you kind of look back like, damn, that would have been fun.
1: Um, Well, kid Yamamoto was, was definitely one. Of, and and I remember because uh, I was well aware how popular he was and he was, he was much bigger than I was at the time. So I was always calling him out and then like the, the tides kind of changed um, over the years, but, uh, there was a time where he was a mega mega star in the world, and and I wanted to kind of take his clout, you know. Um, he was fighting at in Pride, right? Yeah, yeah, he was fighting over in Japan, Pride, and I think a couple other organizations before that.
0: Very badass. Um, back to the the post fight celebration in San Diego. Where does that rank amongst the best, like uh, you know, post fight parties, post fight bar nights? Like, I, I don't know if you have one that stands above the rest.
1: Man, that was a pretty big one for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, I could go in a bunch of different re- directions telling you stories of of my buddies that were there and other people that were there and, and some things that went down that made that a, a pretty good one. But the ones back in Sacramento were pretty good as well. I had a block of houses back in the day. And so we'd do the party at the club. And then after that, we'd all go to the block and have like four houses and um, had some great times there. But that one in San Diego, one of my buddies had a rough night ended up in, in Tijuana we had to get him out of some trouble. And, you know, there's a couple of, you know, some, some different females that, 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 that were, uh, you know, gotten some fights there. It was pretty funny, man. I mean, it was actually a, uh, a, a pretty wild night in San Diego. I, you know, I'm only
0: 24, but I've, I've been able to have a handful so far in my, my young career. We hope to oh, continue to add on to them, <laughs> but Um, I really, truly believe that a night in San Diego, if it, if it doesn't end up with someone in TJ, then it wasn't really like that good of a night, you know, exactly.
1: I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, are you a surf guy? I, 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 Barbara, I, I love surfing. I'm not very good at it. As you can imagine, I'm landlocked out here in, uh, Sacramento. So I actually have a building on the Northern coast uh, where it's super cold and I go surf there on occasion. I've, I've surfed a little bit in Hawaii and, um, and a little bit in Mexico, but, uh, a little bit in the Bay area, but I'm not very good at it. And when I say I'm not very good at it, I mean it. Like some people say they're not good at surfing and they're like, Oh, I'm not very good. And they can actually surf pretty well, but I'm really not good at, it. but I love it. and I And I plan on getting good at some point.
0: Very, very cool. Um, so I was scrolling through your Instagram. I was just curious. How was uh Disneyland? Disneyland with Rob Dyrdek.
1: Oh, it was awesome. Rob's like a Disneyland veteran, like <laughs> Mister <laughs> VIP. There, he knows exactly how to do it. Uh, that was that was a uh, a big advantage having Rob there during the, the the Disney experience. It was my first time with with our family, and um, he goes like four or five times a year. So he showed us the ropes.
0: What was the, uh, mm, what was like the hot seller amongst the the kids at Disney? Like, what was the thing that just got them jazzed up more than everything else?
1: Um, well, my son's 11 months, so he just was happy about whatever. Um, yeah. Callie really liked, uh, what she liked the best? I think she, was there a. I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was. The whole experience for her was oh, the best one was just when, when the, the characters came out. And I, I posted a video of that. But like, ja- like, Callie thinks that Mickey is her friend now. And like, she gets blushes when I say, you know, you and Mickey are friends now. And she's like, me and Mickey, like, we're friends. You know, she gets all excited. So that, that was the big highlight for her is really cementing her relationship with Mickey.
0: That's badass. (laughs) Um, I I know this isn't normal to most people, but like our eighth grade, you know, as a Southern California kid, our eighth grade graduation, we get a day at Disneyland with the other classmates. So um a little bit of a Disneyland veteran myself. Um okay, tying it, tying it back into mixed martial arts a little bit. Pretty interesting week. And I, I would almost say it's a huge week for you, just with Joe B and then Carlos Condit, like retiring in the same week. When you think of those guys, what's the first thing you think of when it comes
1: to each of them? Man, well, Joseph, he was with me for a long time. So I think of all sorts of funny stuff.
0: Oh, um, hold on one sec. You're right? you're not coming through. Give me one sec here. Let's see if we can get you back.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, there you are. There you are. Okay. You yeah,
1: so- might up like... There- Maybe fifteen, thirty seconds.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll go back. Okay. Um thanks. thanks Em. Um so Joe B, Carlos Condit both retire this week. Um, you've obviously got some funny stories with Joseph Benavidez. So um just the the one thought, you know, as he as he walks away from the sport.
1: You know, Joe is a such a unique guy. He was never really worried about what anybody thought and uh was the like the most thrifty guy on the planet. So uh he was he was like the, a connoisseur of, of, of classic stuff. So you get all of his clothes at thrift stop shop. He used to have like an old beat up Cadillac that was like his baby. Like he loved that thing. And, um, you know, we used to always make these nicknames for me. He had about 10, 11 different nicknames. We have an awesome video on my YouTube channel from back in the day where we were trying to choose his best, his best nickname. And, uh, just that just what a creative and fun guy that is he's he's a he's a killer of course, and you know nearly won the championship multiple times and and is a legend but uh just a unique individual on that front and then carlos condit uh yeah i love that his dad's a politician and and he's a he's a real stand up guy he's got like a a good moral compass i i remember uh he was i can't remember where he was, but he was super off put because the he, he was getting massage one time and, and the lady tried to give him a happy ending and he's like, whoa, 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 had to put her in her place. <laughs> and that for me was classic. I'm like, you know, most guys I know that have been in the gym probably would just let it happen. And and he had, you know, he's married and he's he's a he's a good guy. And he like, yeah, told the story and was like super offended and 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 had to walk out of the massage because the lady was trying to touch his his special spots. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no way. Is this like a known story? I've
0: never heard this story before.
1: I have no idea if that's a known story. Probably not. That is I mean, he knows fu- it.
0: That is fucking incredible. Nothing to be um, ashamed
1: about. No.
0: Like, for him. Prideful. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's something you tell with pride. That's, that's great. <laughs> um, we had Carlos on the show a few months back um, after his like last win in um, Abu Dhabi. And, the moral compass you're so spot on with it like that dude just he wants to do the right things at the right time kind of cool like I mean both you and him were like the two dominant forces at W I I don't think Carlos Condit lost at WEC
1: yeah I don't think he did either you know he was the interim champion in the UFC it's crazy you know this the whole trajectory of careers and uh he's definitely had one that you can be proud of so you know love that guy and loves his fighting style. What a savage. Super
0: badass. You know, i I sometimes feel like I'm in a weird place, like as a young kid in the mixed martial arts world, because everyone above me says like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're just a kid. Like you don't know anything. And then like the kids my age or kids younger than me, who I'm trying to communicate with and share my work with, like they might not even know about like the WEC per se. And I'm like, oh my god guys like th- this is this is history right here there's a huge part of mixed martial arts as a whole so um i really tried to share the carlos condit story quite a bit um obviously with carlos there's that sparring footage with him and a you know the military members where yeah
1: afghanistan yeah so you know that he was-
0: tells the guy like yo hit me as hard as you want to get hit right like i'm cool like we'll go as hard as you want to go and then the guy tries to like press him on a little bit carlos lights him up um yeah do you have a story like that where like i don't know guys want to come at you a little bit and you're like all right let's let's just have a little bit of fun has that ever kind of gone down at team alpha
1: male probably quite a bit you know we let everybody come in if they you know it's it's sink or swim here so it has happened quite a bit uh more on the grappling side, you get guys that, that there's levels to the game, you know. So you can get some some high level guys that come in. Um, I don't have one in particular that I that I'd uh, you know that I'd put out there, but but that happens a lot in here, and especially throughout the years, because you know any Joe Schmo can convince people that he's a fighter and pay the dues to step in the door, and you know making it happen is a different story. So. Um, there's been some 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 guys that were out of the league in here and, and have had have paid the paid the price.
0: Um, with uh, you know, we're talking about like the the time between the WEC days and now. And one thing I would like be super curious about is there's pros and cons to almost everything, right? Like back then, you probably had to deal with less media. Right now, like every day, you're getting hit up by fifty different fucking podcasts. Yo, Uriah, can we have you on the show? Ten minutes, five minutes, twenty minutes, whatever it might be you know, having to say no to less people that might be a pro to those WEC days. So what's the best thing about fighting like 10 years ago? And then what's the the worst thing about fighting 10 years ago? kind of compared to what we deal with now?
1: I'd like to say less than or more than 10 years ago, the best thing was, I mean, look, when I first started fighting, you didn't have to have everybody's opinions in, in your face or available to you. You know, it was like, literally in 2003 2004 2005 2006 2007 there wasn't instagram and twitter and 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 you know a way for people to get their positive negative indifferent you know perspectives out into the world or in your face and so i i do a pretty good job of of just not caring at all but you know, these younger kids grow up with this, where there's cyberbullying and whatnot. And it's weird how it can affect people. I mean, it makes people make some crazy decisions. Like, you know, all the fans think that so-and-so is not a good coach or, or this, I should be at this gym. You know, it's like all these things that, that you may not have had to deal with back then can be an influence and in, in people's careers can be affected by it. So that's one weird thing that's, that's, uh, about today. And I don't know how I'm going to navigate that with my kids. It's going to be a weird thing. It's going to be a whole different animal, even, you know, in five, 10, 15 years for, for my kids. And, um, hopefully there's a better, more, uh, savvy way of dealing with it. But at that point, no, you know, have some examples of how it's gone well and how it's gone bad with this social media thing.
0: And realistically, like if by chance, you know, one of your kids competes in athletics, there's a really good chance they're going to be under a bigger spotlight than even the average kid. Right. Like, so they'll be dealing with it potentially to even like a greater extent um, than like the average, the average Joe. So
1: um, absolutely
0: question for you. How's the, uh, how's the pinky?
1: It's still pretty jacked up. I can't make a full fist, so that's all I got. This is what a fist should look like, and there's my pinky right there. So, um, how long has that been now? Jeez, it's been like ten weeks. I don't know if I'm gonna get it back. I'm gonna have to maybe re-injure it or something. And I is don't it know. the
0: uh, le- is it like the the base of the knuckle, like down no, here? It's,
1: it's the this guy right here. Yep. 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 See the difference? Holy
0: shit! you right.
1: Yeah, it's pretty nasty, dude. You're, you're good. Is it all good? That doesn't look all. It's good. not great. No, it's not great. It's all good. It's not great. <laughs> Absolutely not.
0: Oh, that's that's
1: incredible. Um,
0: you do a really good job of like plugging your guys, and you know, two weeks ago, which actually, I I, I glanced over this earlier in the podcast. Cause, um, g- give me the name one more time of the fight that you said I don't know of, but uh the name the slava, was... slava borshev slava clause slava clause okay um because yeah. last so you got a slava clause you're also speaking portuguese now in these these post fight <laughs> <laughs> that's pavia
1: yeah the Brazilian
0: cat <laughs> so so wh- how many languages do you speak fla Faber fluent in? You know what I mean? I'm not saying like you know fluent but we're talking oh, yeah. about favor fluent. So what what are the languages?
1: Uh, well, my main training, my main trainer for my standup master Tong doesn't speak a lick of English and he's Thai. So I can understand him. We have our own little language that understands Thai. My Brazilian jiu jitsu coach, Fabio has been here a while, but his, his Spanish, or his Portuguese is, uh, I mean, he's, he doesn't speak very good English. So I know Portuguese communicating with him uh, let me see what else. And then in this in this gym, I've got everybody. I've got Song. I coach Song Yidong. He's Chinese. Uh, I've Which, got. Uh, I, I should have mentioned he looked fucking awesome against. Yeah, Casey he's a Kennedy. badass. Yeah, he's a badass. Uh, Song Yidong, and he's got his whole crew of Chinese fighters. I've got Taruto Ishihara and and Tanaka and all the guys from Japan. Uh, I've got Russia, Chechnya, uh, uh Azerbaijan, um, Brazil. We got it all in here. I don't speak those, but I communicate with all of the international fight language, you know? So I like what Mm -hmm. you're saying. I I get what you're saying. Hey, I can communicate. My, my parents, my dad's a first generation American from Holland. So my grandparents have heavy Dutch accents. So there you go. I can, I can understand that too.
0: Well, and this has kind of been one of my like, uh, mantras. And I got one more question for you, but it's kind of been one of my mantras is, uh, uh, you know, food, music, and, sports are the three great common denominators in the world. Like you can go anywhere. And if you speak fluently in, in one sport or if you speak fluently, like you could communicate with people through those common denominators a little bit. So I very much know what you're saying. Um, I don't want to press on you too much about it, but like everyone wants to know, yo, is, is Uriah going to fight one more time? I'm not going to ask you that. What I am going to ask you though, is I need some help. um, if Vegas odds were being put out on who you would fight next, is there any way we could like list out some Vegas odds of, of who you think it might be?
1: Um, sure. So they do offer me fights on occasion and, um, I'm not opposed to it. I still am in great shape. It's, it's just making sure that I'm hundred percent. That's important. So, uh, I, Sorry, would say, and we,
0: I, I am done after this. I am done. Yeah. So good.
1: This. So I would say, you know, some of these guys that are that are up and coming. Casey Kenny called me out in the ring while Song fought. Uh Cheeto Vera's uh thrown some stuff out there. TJ Dillashaw has tried not to fight me. Um, which Whoa. Or, or according to the matchmaker Sean Shelby, which, you know, I don't really need that drama anyways, unless it pays really well. Uh so I'd say those three people. Are, are are thrown out there oh there's pedro munoz is has politely asked to fight before you know i've probably had nine or ten people that have asked to fight and i'm i'd be open to fighting any of those guys pedro munoz uh who else who else had asked me to fight there's I, uh, I
0: read that pedro munoz was eyeing 125 as a possibility for his next oh, fight
1: oh that'd be a bad decision in, in my opinion he's a big guy i feel like so and, and this is just
0: Twitter bullshit. Maybe it was just a complete like Twitter bullshit type deal. Um, so if 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 you don't want like the a TJ type of drama, whatever it might be, what are you looking for in that potential fight? Like you know, what I mean, amongst those guys, like there's pros and cons to each one. Like oh, I like the style matchup. Oh, I like the legacy yeah. dynamic. What, what do you want?
1: You know, for me, it's more about me. You know, I, like when my mom turned sixty too. She's, she's never run. She went and ran a half marathon. When I turned 40, I came out of retirement, had my baby. I would say that, uh, my biggest thing is just a fun experience for me. I have my son in the world now, uh, a challenge. Absolutely. And, and somebody that that gets me excited that I think will be a tough fight. Um, you know, that's, that's me. It's, it's me challenge. That's, that's kind of what I'm going for.
0: Love that. Um, Vitor Belfort kind of says the reason he likes surfing is because it's you versus you just like fighting.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Uriah, I'm good to go, dude. This was incredible. Thank you for the time. I hope I didn't bore
1: you too much or. No, it's okay. great interview, man. I wish I had some more time. I, I just, uh, blew off Macy's, uh, uh, interview. I forgot. I'm a master at double booking myself. I've got a, I've got a, Personal assistant, whenever I don't do something through her, I like double, triple book myself. And uh, once again, I've done it. So I appreciate you guys. Great interview. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Appreciate it. And then I'll, uh, the photo you said is on your Instagram page. That is, if uh, I can send it to Lloyd to set it up. Uh, that's cool. awesome. Thank you. Right. Take brother. it easy, Good man. Job. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday,
0: September 27th. It is 1:12 p.m. here in San Diego, California. Today on In the Fight, ladies and gentlemen, we have we've actually collaborated with this man on a few different articles before, but today joining us to recap UFC 266, recap the weekend of fights, the one, the only from Strong Style, Gerald Spawn. Gerald, how are we doing Let's today, brother? Go.
2: Awesome, man. Awesome. It's great to see you, Bo. It's always great to work with the one thirty-seven p.m. team. And uh, man, what a weekend of fights. What a weekend of sports.
0: Dude, it's it's unbelievable. We've actually, for people that listen to the podcast, but maybe aren't as active on Instagram, you and I, we've gone live uh, post-UFC events on numerous occasions. We've had a really good time almost doing exactly what we're going to do today. And there are like Four or five, like, small MMA details that I am so excited to ask you about today that we saw over the weekend. Um, usually, these have been saved for Instagram Lives right after the fight, but now today we'll bring it on the podcast. The other cool news is that in addition to the U- UFC 266 recap, we will be having an interview with Uriah Faber, so that will also be on this episode. This is jam-packed today. This is a jam-packed episode. I'm excited to bring it um ladies and gentlemen on in the fight this is gerald spawn um all right gerald ufc 266 absolutely bananas absolutely wild i mean this could have dude this this was a top three card of the year for me
2: absolutely top the to bottom i mean there were maybe a few decisions but even just really good fights and in the decisions as well but dude how many people just showed up the fight and made it such a fun night of fights
0: We've had like, what, a month now layoff, maybe like six week layoff in terms of UFC pay-per-views. And oh my God, we just got right back into the swing of things immediately with this card. Um, So things that stood out to me early on, Dan Hooker, like what Dan Hooker was able to accomplish this week, one, just to make it to the United States, right? Just to make it there. To make weight, I, I know that we, we preach about this time and time again, yep. making weight is fucking hard, okay? Dude. And for Dan Hooker to make weight, be a pro, show up with all the bullshit that he was going through, and then to put on a, a class performance like that, like, I mean, talk about the professionalism of Dan Hooker, man.
2: Dude, he had a lot of factors he couldn't have really prepared for thrown at him while cutting weight, while getting ready for a fight. And, yeah, that guy's been around and been doing it for a long time. But it is incredibly stressful. Take it from me, someone that does it. I haven't even done it, you know, nearly as long as this guy. But it's uh, it just speaks to the type of fighter and the type of professional he is to be able to handle uh, what he did, not only with class, but
0: to show up and show out, man. And then the the fight following that one is Marlon Moraes versus Mirab. And Dude. holy <laughs> shit. Like – Dude, I, I, I know Marlon, like, you know, up and down over his last few fights, you know, thing that necessarily gone his way, but I don't know, like, for novice motherfucker like me, the dude is dangerous as hell. I, I don't view those losses against top, top competition as like the end all be alls for guys career. And I still consider Marlon to be incredibly dangerous. He lands a huge shot. And then the moment. He survives, so the, the you know the shot lands on on Marab and um, DC kind of called it during the card. He kind of called it. He goes, "Yo, Marlon might be emptying the gas tank right now, and if yep. if he survives this, we could see the script flip." It was really interesting to see.
2: Man, that punch made uh, made Marab look like a, a Bambi if, if Bambi was on a frozen lake, just trying not to fall down. It was crazy, man. And I was, you know, those are the moments where you're kind of, you're in and out where you're like, I kind of want to see the finish, but if he comes back, it could be crazy. And dude, and it's not like he came back and just, um, you know, like skated through the fight and snuck away with the win. He came back and he, he put a stamp on it, you know? So it's a, uh, that, that's my thing where it's hard. Like, you know, do refs call it early sometimes, but at the same time, like you got to worry about the safety because it probably could have been stopped at a time or two, but you know, you see, we, we saw exactly what happened because it wasn't.
0: Well, and so this is, and we're going to address this a little bit later on um with another fight, but the ground and pound display was like really, really impressive. And I know like that, you know, that's your game. Like that's honestly what yep. you're going to do best. And so when you're watching that, what impresses you the most in terms of the ground and pound that you saw from him as, as he's establishing top position, landing the blows. I mean, what they said, like, he 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 landed forty straight unanswered blows right in the in the second round. So yep. you know, just what do you see? What impressed you from from that dynamic of the fight?
2: What's impressive is something you can't really see, and you only know if you've really done it. And that's being able to maintain control while landing those strikes. A lot of fans think you know you're in the position, you know, hit him. Well, like, why is he? Why is he? Why isn't he hitting him? Why isn't he? you know, just letting loose every time you throw a strike. And, and, you know, these are control points. Every time you release a control point to land a strike, you're risking losing a good position and kudos to him for committing to damage over position in, the, in that moment, because he was in a spot where maybe he could have came back and still won the fight, you know, just by keeping good position and landed some strikes. And he uh, he sold out and put it all on the table just to uh, to get the finish and get the win. So, um, it's crazy that he was able to maintain control while still doing so much damage. It's like, that's the balance because if you lose control, maybe they're back on their feet and, uh, Marlon wins that fight.
0: And, and I'm going to save my, the remainder of my thoughts. Cause I kind of have a follow-up question to that, but it, it's going to be addressed in a, in a later on fight. So, um, moving on, this is probably the thing I'm most excited to ask you. It's this or one other thing, but. Curtis Blades is always considered. Every time he fights, he's considered the best wrestler in the heavyweight division. And it's like for thirty seconds, he's the best wrestler in the division. and then for thirty seconds, he goes, "Oh, I, I'm just gonna kickbox." And I can't figure out, like there is, he's like, I swear he's at like ninety nine percent, man. And there's just this one percent thing that he's gonna do and it's gonna unleash. And like every time he fights, I'm almost like nervous that as he shoots for a takedown, something's going to happen. Or like, he just like, everyone knows that he's going to shoot. When you watch Curtis Blades as a heavyweight, he's a big, big motherfucker. What's the thing that stands out to you in terms of his wrestling compared to the rest of the heavyweight division?
2: What stands out is he commits in positions where it makes sense for him to commit. So that's also a thing that's hard to know unless you've done it. There are certain spots where... If you just blast straight in, you might drive the guy back, but if you don't have a correct angle, if you're not, maybe if you're driving straight in on the hips, sometimes it's hard to finish that way. So you need to almost be angled in at the hips to where you can actually get them shuffling sideways. Think of it this way. If I'm driving you backwards, is it easier for you to keep your footing if you're stepping backwards? Or if I'm driving you kind of at an angle, is it easier for you to keep your footing if you're kind of going diagonal or to the side? It's harder for you to shuffle really fast sideways than it is backwards.
0: So how does the fence come into play with that? Because, like, I felt like there were a few different times where Blades was able to, like, get in relatively deep on a couple takedowns, and then he would get pressed up against a fence. Like, when you're watching a guy shoot for a takedown, and it gets up against a fence. What's that next step that has to happen in order to get the guy to the ground?
2: It it depends on where, you, where you're at in the shot because okay. there are times in which if you're early in on the shot, then it can actually help you get the takedown because if they, if they have a good defense, you can stifle their defense by smashing them up against the cage and you can readjust. But if you're late on the shot where you're about to finish, you almost have driven them down and then they can kind of catch their back on the, on the cage. Then that um, uh, keeps them from getting put down. So um, th- that question varies, but uh, what I can say is, is uh, I, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of like a unknown art to be able to wrestle against the cage because it's hard to figure out where you can take advantage of leverage points when there's a cage in, in play because wrestling in open space and wrestling against a platform is different.
0: So I, I did want to go over the one other thing, which is like, you know, when a wrestler shoots the, the flying knee or just like meeting a yep. knee to the face as you, as you go in, um, blades ate a to knee this week. Um, and it showed, man, it showed right away on his face. And then, you know, the last time he fights, he goes up against Derek Lewis and he eats the uppercut coming in. Not that like you're his coach by any means, but yep. if you were in his camp, you know what I mean? If you were working with him, what's something you would say to like, yo, we have, we we have to disguise these a pinch better. You know, if we, everyone knows you want to wrestle. How do you hide that everyone knows that you want to wrestle?
2: This is the 1% bow. The okay. 1% that will help him reach that next level, in my humble opinion, yes. as someone that's been fighting for a lot less longer than he has. <laughs> um, he is starting to mix his striking in with his wrestling where it's not one second I'm striking, one second I'm wrestling. Uh, as you had said before, where you know that's what it looks like. He's starting to blend it a little bit. And where he's going to hit that next level is to where there's no – The differentiation between when he's striking and when he's wrestling, when it all is one, one all-inclusive thing. And you can't, you can't tell when he's going to go for the shot.
0: Which is what made GSP GSP, right? Like Mm -hmm. it was, it was what he did better than every single other person on the planet that's maybe ever existed, right? Like there's, I don't know if there's been anyone who's ever been able to mix the combination of striking and wrestling the way GSP has. And I think if you're Curtis Blades, that's the, the gold standard. That's what you're trying to shoot for. Um, okay. The next fight. Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz, everyone has been talking about it for months and months and months. It dominated social media analytics. It blew away the like social media engagement compared to the other fights on this card. And There's two title fights on this card with former champions and massive, massive implications. And yet the fight that everyone's going to talk about is Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. Um, You've heard it once. You've heard it a thousand times. First fight in six years. uh, Suspended for marijuana. Robbie Lawler. You know, as as much of a stud as we've ever seen in the UFC. But, you know, at the end of his career a little bit, and that's not like a knock on Robbie. It's just the the matter of the truth. And we haven't necessarily seen the same Robbie Lawler. Um, Not many athletes are the same at the age of 39 as they were when they were 30, 25, 35, whatever it might be. Um, I want to address something, because there were plenty of people criticizing Nick Diaz, um, the shape he was in, um, his output, his desire to be there, his comments, fight week. I think that's all part of the Diaz experience, Um, and that's the truth of the matter. I think a lot of people forgot that... There's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to a Diaz fight week. And again, these are my favorite fighters of all times. Like I'm, I'm literally saying this as a Diaz, Stan, lover, obsessor. I'm like the number one fan in their fan club. So, but that uncertainty is a part of the, the Nick and Nate Diaz fight week. Yep. Earlier in the week, we heard Nick saying, you know, why am I here? Why am I doing this? I don't want to fight. I don't like fighting. I'm doing this for other people. Number one, that's generally not a good thing, <laughs> um, hearing yeah. that. Um, and so I'm, I'll let you, let, let me get two more things off and I'll, I'll let you kind of respond however you think you need to respond. Um, number two, the, the fight got moved from 170 to 185. Uh, Diaz didn't look as in shape as he had been maybe a month or two months ago. I'm not a huge fan of the body speculation stuff that a lot of people like to go into on Twitter where it's like, oh, he looks so good oh, he looks awful right now. Oh, you know, hammer Robbie Lawler. I'm not as much of a believer, but it was plenty part of the discussion was the the shape of Nick Diaz. Um, And then the last thing is just the desire to be there. Um, For me, watching it, my takeaway was this is a aging superstar who has not fought in a long time. He went, planned for a five-round fight against a pretty elite competitor. This to me was all about expectations. What were you expecting to see out of Nick Diaz? Were you expecting to see Strikeforce undefeated champ like in that division? Because that seems a little bit unfair. What I expected to see was a little bit of clever cleverness and trickery when it comes to the hands, which we still got. Yeah. Um, we still saw him with a high number of output, huge volume, as he always does. And then after that, I was like, you know what? The rest of it is going to be a mystery to me. What are your big takeaways from a Nick Diaz fight week once again?
2: I think you're correct in saying that people forgot the experience of what is a Diaz fight week, uh, particularly uh, a, a Nick Diaz fight week as it's been so long. And you got to remember it, uh, There are a lot of new fans, uh, a lot of new fans of the sport that just got here in the past five years that have heard, but they've never seen an experience. So, I think that within itself is, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people that have a voice that didn't previously have a voice. So there's a lot more being stirred up, uh, stirred up from the, from the fans than it seems like there was ever before. So, uh, I think that's something to consider as well as, yeah, he's, he's older. I, I think he fought out of necessity necessity a lot of times, and he feels like he's doing it for his family and for his coaches and for, uh, for sponsors and things like that. I would agree that normally that is a bad thing. I think that's how those guys work in a way for some people, stuff like that just works. You know, for me, if, if part of me is not in it, then it might be a bad day for Gerald. I don't think that that rule applies to them. And I think, uh, I think really, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to see a little bit of an older, maybe a little bit of a slower less in shape um Diaz because he's you know it's what time does but man he he came out just volume 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 he was almost he wasn't throwing slow it was so funny he was throwing like just slow enough to where it didn't look fast but still fast enough to get through Robbie's guard it my my
0: comparison and this is I've been trying to think of like what's the you know what's the equivalent in other sports with this to me, it was a. it was either if you're going basketball, it's the Paul Pierce offense where it's like he's not going to blow by you. Right. He's not going to jump over you, but he might get you to jump and he might leave your you might leave your position. And then Paul Pierce gets the jumper off. It yep. might be Trevor Hoffman closing Trevor Hoffman. He didn't throw 100. He didn't have a slider that moved, you know, 12 inches and, and was 90 plus miles per hour. But that changeup was fucking nasty, and and you know they, they everyone ever since Connor said it, you know precision beats power, timing beats speed, and like yes, those things are true. That you know they're cliches. That doesn't mean they're not you know correct. His timing is is as unique and bizarre as anyone I've ever watched fighting, and. You know, people can say, like, oh, those were pitter-patter punches. They were barely hitting mitts. Like, dude, I'm telling you, you eat six of those in a span of 20 seconds, they're going to fucking hurt. Punches are punches, bro. It's all the people (laughs) fucking saying that are sitting on the couch and have
2: never been hit in the face before. You know, it's (laughs) like, let me fucking slap you in the face. It'll still hurt.
0: And and the thing with Diaz, he's so precise. Like – the, the number of blows that land directly on the nose that land directly on the chin that, 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 I, you know, obviously he's one of the best body punchers of all time in the history of MMA, but the precision on the body punches is absolutely absurd. And to still, to still see some of the clever like defensive head movement stuff and he's blocking punches so well and, and he knows He knows the exact moment that you gas out on your exchange and he answers right away. I like, I don't know, as, as a DS Stan, I was still excited to see some of those combos come back and, and for the new generation to experience that kind of trickery.
2: I agree. And I think he's got some fights left in him. I think, I think you'd be doing a disservice to him and the fans. If you're giving him, you know, uh, you know, a ranked fighter that's super young and super fast. I think you kind of got to give him guys kind of on the same end of the spectrum as him, uh, and that's no disrespect to him. I think it's just you know he's getting older, man, and and things change and the speed goes and stuff like that. But uh, there there can be a lot of fun to be had with him if if it's done
0: right. So let's let's talk about it for thirty seconds here. Um, I heard Cowboy Cerrone. Um, I heard Diego Sanchez. I heard, uh, a wild card one that it more fantasy stake, but Ben Askren, right. He wouldn't take a lot of damage against the Ben Askren. Um, and, and that's the concern with Diaz, right. You, you just don't want to see guys take more damage than they ever need to. Is there uh is there someone that stands out to you as someone you would want to see Diaz take on?
2: Man, this one sounds a little crazy, but for some reason I thought about him and, uh, Ferguson.
0: Yeah. I, well, so one, we haven't heard anything from Tony yeah. in a little bit. And, you know, all respect to the the madman, the boogeyman that is Tony Ferguson. Um, there were rumors that Ferguson was eyeing up 170, right? He, he he was there's at least a little bit of whispers that he wants out at 155 and would probably head up to 170. It would be fucking entertaining. I mean, who the who the hell wouldn't God. want to see that? <laughs>
2: Yeah, for sure, man. That there'd be blood, people would be getting hit constantly. It would uh, one of those guys might die in there. That's that's how that fight might end.
0: Um yeah, the, the, one of them might die. Um all right, moving on. Uh Valentina Shevchenko just continues her reign and dominance and I don't even know what I can say at this point when it comes to her. There's there's nothing that I can say that hadn't already been said. There's no description for her dominance. She is so God damn good in every single spot. She's disciplined. She's elite in, in her tactics. She's wise. She's matured. Like you're looking at maybe the most dangerous fighter in all of mixed martial arts.
2: I agree. And and nothing against, you know, the lioness Amanda Nunez, but yeah, I think she just, I just don't think there's any holes and not that Amanda has, A ton but i i think there's a path to be found to beat amanda and i think it's more the fact that she's just so uh so like overpowering um is amanda's thing but uh yeah uh valentina is just just incredible
0: if if you were to and again this is This is asinine that I'm even remotely talking about an Amanda Nunes defect because that's fucking ludicrous. I literally called her the most underrated athlete on the planet over the weekend, so my love for Amanda Nunes cannot be you know understated. She's trigger happy, like she likes to swing. So you know she landed the blows in the cyborg exchange and she pulled and and encountered with grace and beauty. There's a there's a chaotic energy to amanda that i don't think valentina has i think valentina is so by the book doesn't make mistakes doesn't get in exchanges that could leave her in damage or in danger and with amanda i think there's a little bit of a desire for like yo i want to knock this girl out yo i want to dominate um and then the other thing is like the the gdr fight for amanda nuna is like the the length gave her a little bit of trouble at times and i i don't know if i've ever seen that with valentina but we're, what we're doing right now is splitting hairs. I don't know if we yeah. even need to do that with either of these two. I don't know who's left for them other than themselves, um, their studs.
2: I agree. I, I think it's, uh, it, it almost, the only bad thing about that is it's kind of the Khabib effect in a way. It's like, who do you give them to make for a truly entertaining fight? You love watching them fight because it's, it's beautiful and it's going to be good. But uh, at the end of the day, you kind of expect them both to just dominate.
0: Yeah, I, I I really, really do not know what to do. All right, main event time. Uh, potential fight of the year. Alexander Volkanovsky, Brian, T-City Ortega. I almost don't even want to talk about this fight because I feel like I'm going to fuck it up. I literally feel like if I spend time and energy talking about this, I'm going to fuck up the beauty that was this fight. Volkanovsky seems like the most dreadful co- opponent I, you could ever stand across from him in a cage. I don't know if I've ever seen the competitor that Volkanovski is in that cage. He wants to win every second of the fight. No, no, no. Like, not one blow. Not one trade. He does not want to lose a single exchange. I think he's the most competitive person I've ever seen compete in the UFC.
2: And I would second that and say most prepared. The <laughs> preparation that he had to have done to to be what maybe it was either midway through the fourth or the fifth and where he actually looked a little tired. It was, it was insane and and how much, how crazy the fight was. And the fact that he was in two very incredibly dangerous and tight chokes and was still able to get right back up and throw that is fucking insane, bro. Like that, that saps your energy. And he got up and acted like he had had just got done like drinking a, a Red Bull or something.
0: So so, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it a little bit, Gerald. Um, the guillotine that he was in, um, his head turns purple. Right, like yeah. he's he's not breathing. There's blood yeah. pouring out of his face. Um, it like seven to eight seconds is usually how long you have have to breathe once the like the cut off. Yeah. Is, and this is what I'm reading. Correct me at For any sure. point.
2: No, I mean it's the, My the understanding short.
0: is that Volk, Volkanovsky Okay, so my understanding is that Volkanovsky was in a position that he should not have been in for as long as he was in. How the fuck did he escape? That that's, that's the question. How the fuck did he escape?
2: It was a combin a combination of sheer will and in and an understanding how to get out. He knew how to get out and he that man is so mentally strong that while his world was closing in because you know the in how deep that he was like i don't know if you've ever really been choked but like it literally starts to close in your 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 eyesight starts it just everything darkens like um like like you're about to be shut off and he had to have been so very close to being shut off and he still had the composure to be able to think you know okay, fight the hand get the lock here get the chin down and uh he was even doing the little kid like like squirm around and freak out. And he was still able to, that was his body reacting naturally to almost being put to sleep.
0: Which isn't that like not, isn't that like what you're not supposed to do is to do that Twitch because like that exerts energy or like what, what is the by the book answer to escaping, you know, a a mounted guillotine like that?
2: First and foremost, he's got to address the lock the way that a guillotine works, and I believe it was an arm and guillotine, meaning that it wasn't just the, you know, just the mm-hmm. choke on the neck. He had um, one of his, one of his uh, carotids were being pressed down by his shoulder. So essentially there's two choke points. It's uh, Ortega's arm on one side and Volkanovski's shoulder on the other. So I believe from the view that we had, we could see the side that was no shoulder. What I'm thinking is, is he was able to, maneuver the lock in a way in which it, it gave space here he was able to get his shoulder down which essentially in that position is is what you want to do you want to try to get it on both sides it's hard to attack the side where the other guy's got his arm laid across because he's got more more control uh, of that position but when he's trying to clasp your own shoulder against your neck you can find ways to create space he did do what um that yeah the kind of freaking out you're not really supposed to do that. But I think he had his hands in a position to fight the lock and couldn't quite get it. And almost by kind of spazzing, he might've just been able to like wiggle his chin under, underneath the lock. I'm, you know, I didn't have a great shot on it.
0: So even as a, you know, I'm your average Joe at home, but like in the few jujitsu experiences I've had or whatever, not only does it close your vision, right? Like, you you know, you talked about the darkness sinking in. Like, I'll admit it. I'm a bitch. All right. I'll admit it here. It's my will that shuts down, dude. Like, let alone my vision, let alone like the actual physical like damage that's being done in a choke. Your fucking brain is telling you, oh, it's over. You're done. Quit. Give up. Give up. Give up. It, it is constantly telling yep. you, yo, you're toast. You're done. So here, just give up. Like, tap. It's not that it's so easy to tap, and then you'll, then you'll be able to breathe and feel better. So, I feel that from like yo, I'm a huge bitch factor, so I can't even imagine what he was feeling in that moment. Um, the last thing I wanted to go over was the the triangle because he also sunk in a triangle. You know, fucking a minute and a half later, and I'm just stunned. I'm blowing my mind, and I'm watching the fight. My dad's downstairs, and I said it. I said out loud, "Oh, the fight's over." I said yep. I said it out loud after watching Volkanovsky dominate. I said, "Oh." The fight's over. I said those words. Um, we've seen guys escape triangles here and there before. I don't know if we've seen guys escape triangles from jujitsu motherfuckers like Brian T-City Ortega. So I, I need an explanation here. How the fuck does that happen?
2: I don't know exactly what <laughs> did, but one thing I will say, I think his mistake was coming up on top because where you're able to really uh, close things off and finish the choke – is when you have their head in there and you're grabbing the head and pulling it down into the choke, you actually extend your hips up and in and that's going to make it tighter, which is probably the point in which Volkanowski kind of fell over and uh, Ortega was able to get on top. But it's harder to do that when you're on top because the way the leverage point changes when you're on top, it's harder to kind of sink in when you're sitting on top because you're, you're like, your shin is now underneath his head on the ground and it's just it's just a different it's a different position now if maybe he gets his leg out of there and or just traps him there and you know just lands little punches in the triangle that's a different story but if he really wanted to finish that I almost think he should have just stayed on his back even if Volkanovski falls over just keep your hips keep your hips in pull the head down and then make sure that you uh you know keep the pressure on the choke
0: well, with Habib's final fight against Justin Gaethje, he locks in a mounted triangle right that, yeah. like like he, he he passes guard with ease and he, he's in full he locks in the mounted triangle. What's the first thing Habib does once he locks in the mounted triangle rolls and goes on his back exactly as you're saying right here it's It's
2: much easier to finish off of your back, and he ha- he had it he had it teed up he said he had it teed up, and I think it's it's also hard to it's hard to ignore just being able to come on top like that. That's a dominant position. It's, I was just on my back getting hit. Now I can get on top and it's uh, but yeah, I, I think he should have stayed on his back.
0: Last thing I want to touch on um, the toughness of Brian Ortega. And I, I know that this is a sport where we see it all the time. Um, every single guy who competes in this octagon is, is as tough as, you know, you're going to come across, but the heart that he showed and to win the last round. Right, there was nothing left. He wasn't going to win that fight, no matter what. In the fifth round, he had nothing in the tank. He wasn't going to lock in a choke. He wasn't going to finish Volkanovski on the feet. He was going out there for pride and honor, and he won the last fucking round. And there's there's nothing to be said about the toughness. You know, you're a guy who's in this. You're doing this shit all the time. Did it amaze even you?
2: It's incredible because those are the moments he he had nothing to earn really it it was a a half of a percent chance he finishes the fight um yeah he went out there more to go out on a shield for pride and for the fact that he's just a tough motherfucker and dude hats off to him uh it was incredible to watch and that just shows you that that's a guy that's gonna come back and you know unless he unfortunately just keeps having to fight volkanowski and it goes the same man like I think he's going to find a way to the title some way, somehow, because that is a dude that's, he's willing to die. He, I mean, you know, this is something you you could get into. Uh, I don't know if it's worth getting into, but the, him answering the questions wrong in between rounds, like it's, it's stressful. It's, you know, it's in the middle of a fight. There's a lot going on. Dude was not in great shape and he still had the wherewithal to go out there and give it his all.
0: To be honest, I think he thought the fight was over at the end of uh, round four. Right. Um, Herb Dean standing over him and, and Ortega's Ortega is laying there for, you know, 15 seconds. I actually think he thought the fight was over. I I think he thought Herb Dean had stopped the fight and that that's why, well, I don't know if he even heard the bell. I, I genuinely think Ortega thought the fight was over. Um, Herb Dean's like the best in the business. I like. I it's hard for me to sit back here, you know, on my couch at home. I just smoked a joint, you know, an hour ago. So like, like to, for me to like, I don't know, critique Herb Dean doesn't seem fair to him. But there were a lot of signs that were not good for Brian Ortega, and like the beating was done there. He had. I don't want to say he had his chance with the submissions, but like. It just didn't look good. Now it is a championship fight. This is not like a prelims fight. And, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to, think. is it, I think it's Jack Reese who is doing Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury one. And he's like, yeah. you know, any other fight, I stopped the knockdown. I, I, you know, I stopped the fight there, but this is a heavyweight championship fight of the world, right? I took a gut instinct and said, I'm going to let Tyson Fury continue this fight and he made the right decision at the time. I think Herb Dean was doing something similar here. Ryan Ortega, if he wins the championship, it will be when he's not supposed to win. I don't think it's going to come by a, a a normal way. He's not going to like win a couple in a row, earn his shot. I think someone's going to pull out for an injury or a bad weight cut or something and he's going to step in on a last second notice. And he's gonna win it in a really bizarre way. Right? But he is so game, so ready at all times. How can you not fucking love watching this guy fight, dude? Oh my god, dude, it's
2: firing me up right now. Dude, this is perfect. I'm actually getting ready to go spar for tonight's practice, and you're getting me all fucking amped up, <laughs> dude, dude. For it's, real, though, it's freaking awesome, dude. We we're in such a great time for fighting because it's it's still in it in, in its infancy, but it's still like it's just hitting the the peak where. Uh, the skills are insane, man. Like the sport's changing and it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um. City kickboxing is making their move over from New Zealand to the United States. I don't think they've decided what city or what where they're going to go yet, but interesting regardless, I think they're done and sick and tired of the, not the COVID restrictions necessarily, but just like they're in complete lockdown in, in, in New Zealand yeah. and they just, they need to be able to earn their living. Um, yep. Gerald. I took you a lot longer than I was supposed to. Thank you, my guy. Um, hope you had a blast. Um, where can people follow you? People can
2: follow me at Gerald Spawn anywhere and everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, it's Gerald Spawn MMA. And then uh, YouTube, it's Gerald Spawn MMA as well. It's J-E-R-A-L-D-S-P-O-H-N. And uh, yeah, dude, um, got the Hard to Kill podcast. As you know, that thing we've been cranking on. Just dropped a clip today and uh, hopefully fighting here in about four weeks.
0: Woo! We'll have you back on, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what you got going on in, in the fight game, but we will also have you back on to do another one of these. Brother, I enjoyed the hell out of this. Go crush it at practice, and we will talk later on, my guy.
2: Let's do it, man. Thank
0: you. Peace out, brother. See you. And that is a wrap for this episode of In the Fight. Holy shit. I... This is the type of shit that is leaving me speechless week after week. I'm just getting to do unbelievable interviews and Uriah Faber is the gold standard. This is a guy who got me into the sport and to get to talk to him for 30 minutes and he gave me detailed answers and thoughtful responses. And I'm grateful and happy and almost just stunned that this shit is happening over and over. But um, what an opportunity. I hope you guys enjoyed. I, I tried to ask, you know, interesting different questions and uh i'm thankful for the time from uriah back end of the episode gerald spawn does it broke down ufc 266 killer killer work from him happy to do it um thank you guys for tuning in this is in the fight